I think for most of us, when we think about fellowship, we think about time spent with people we love. Those enjoyable occasions when, when we just share life together. Maybe it's a, a conversation over a cup of coffee, or maybe it's the, the laughter and fun that we, we have at a church picnic. Or it could be just the, the time that we have together when we invite people into our, the comfort of our own home and, and share a meal with each other. I believe these things very much are part of, of what fellowship is intended to be, but I also believe that they are just the tip of the iceberg. You see, when the Bible talks about fellowship, we learn that it's much more multifaceted than the things that I've just mentioned. It's kind of like the facets of a diamond. You see, what, what makes a diamond beautiful, what gives it its sparkle, is all the different angles or, or facets that are cut into the gem which reflect light. All these multiple facets are what give brilliance to what is otherwise a normal average stone. But Well, the same is true for fellowship. When we consider all the, the facets of fellowship, that's when the beauty really shines forth. The book of Philippians, at least in part, has been a study in fellowship. We know that because we have seen all throughout the, the letter the affection that exists between Paul and the Philippian church. We remember how he began the letter, and he said very clearly, how I long for you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And then we've seen the devotion that the the Philippian church has had for Paul, in many ways sacrificially, which tells us that that same affection existed from the church towards him. If you would turn to chapter 4, verse 14 of Philippians. And I want you to see how we once again will be introduced to that same compassion and affection that exists between Paul and the Philippian church. Verse 14 says, Nevertheless, you've done well to share with me in my affliction. And you yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, after I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. But I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a, a fragrant aroma, a, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you in spirit. In verses 14 and 15, um, am I going to go in and out on this, guys? Okay. Verses 14 and 15, the, the, uh, Paul uses a word that our English Bibles translate as share. He said, it was kind of you to share in my trouble. Paul recognized that when he left Macedonia, which is actually a really nice way to put it because he was kicked out of town. 
and was run out. And uh, nonetheless, what he says in response to that is how the Philippian church was the only church to share in the partnership of giving and receiving. In both cases, Paul uses a word for share that comes from the same Greek word from which we get our word fellowship. So really, Paul thanked the Philippian church for having fellowship in his affliction, as well as participating in the fellowship of giving and receiving. And what we find as as we read Paul's letter is that this is just one of the many facets of fellowship that he will highlight. In fact, there are five unique and separate occasions where Paul uses this same Greek root word to describe fellowship. And each time it's a a very unique and different angle of what fellowship looks like within the body of Christ. And when you examine them collectively, they portray an image which reflects the brilliant light of Christ within his church in a most beautiful way. We'll come back to our passage a little later, but if you would, let's go to the first facet of fellowship in chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. And I want you to begin reading with me in verse 3. He said in the beginning, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all. In view of your participation, that's the word fellowship in the original language, in the gospel for the first day until now. The first facet of fellowship is the fellowship of the gospel. In a diamond, the largest and and most important facet is called the table facet. It's that large horizontal facet right on top of the diamond. It's the centerpiece of what is known as, as the crown of the diamond. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the centerpiece of the Christian life. He bore the crown of thorns in order that we might wear the crown of life. Like the table facet on a diamond, every other facet of fellowship is seen in relationship to the gospel of Jesus Christ. As Christians, we share a mutual commitment to following Christ and that commitment to be in a relationship with Him. It is the most important attribute that we have in common with one another. In fact, it's this fellowship that that moves beyond even Uh, the level of a meaningful friendship. You see, friendships are necessary and important because of the mutual benefit that they have for one another. There's a level of of give and take. And in the end, end, friendships that are one way just don't last, do they? Only those friendships which care for the needs of others as more important than their own endure for a lifetime. But the fellowship of the gospel introduces an additional component. Not only does it include the relationship that we share with one another as brothers and sisters in Christ, but the gospel of of Jesus Christ, the, the fellowship of the gospel, introduces the person of Christ. You see, the fellowship of the gospel is no longer what we do for one another. Instead, it's what we do together for the glory of Christ. Our fellowship is no longer about what's in it for me. In the fellowship of the gospel, we ask together what's in it for him. 
what we do in fellowship with one another that magnifies the name of Christ. The fellowship of the gospel is, is others focused and, and God glorifying. And it should be the most important facet of every believer in Jesus Christ. But there's more. Look at verse 7. Paul says, For it is only right for me to feel this way about you all, because I have you in my heart. Since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are all partakers, there's the word again, fellowshippers of grace with me. The next uh, facet of fellowship is the fellowship of grace. On a diamond, the, the facets underneath that table facet are called star facets. The fellowship of grace is like one of those star facets. It's connected to the gospel and, in fact, receives its brilliance from the gospel. The fellowship of grace says that we do for others based on what Christ has done for us. We are merciful because we've been shown mercy. We comfort others based on the comfort that we have received from Jesus Christ. We, we forgive because we've been forgiven. This makes me think of the account that Luke records in, in his gospel when, when Jesus enters into the home of a Pharisee to, to share a meal. While he's there, a woman in the city who was a sinner, the Bible tells us, walks into the house with an alabaster vial of perfume. She then kneels at the feet of Jesus, weeping. The text says she begins to wipe his feet with her tears. Then she cleans her tears with her hair, kissing the feet of Jesus and anointing his feet with the perfume from that vial. The Pharisee who invited Jesus to his house says underneath his breath, thinking no one would hear him, if this man were a prophet... He would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she's a sinner. Jesus tells a parable, and then he makes sure his point is clear when he says this to those in the room that day. He said, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little, loves little. I want you to notice that that the woman was not forgiven because of her love. (laughs) She loved. Because she was forgiven. That's the heart behind the fellowship of grace. We are rich in love because we recognize the forgiveness that we have received. We, we love much because we have been forgiven much. Now, now, if you look at the star facets on a diamond closely, what you'll notice is they all exist on the same plane. No one facet is, is higher than another. See, that's what grace does. It puts us all on the same plane. No one person is inferior or superior to another. We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. No one 
seeks after God. We are all equally dependent upon God to initiate his love towards us. Knowing this, we can see how the the fellowship of grace is what allows us to live in unity with one another. When rightly understood, it it creates a humble heart. It it promotes a, a gentleness that is quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Paul says this, Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only that which is good for edification according to the need of the moment. And listen to what he says next. So that it will give what? Grace to those who hear. That's the fellowship of grace. It is this facet that that really shines forth the light of Christ in the lives of his people when our humility of mind regards one another as more important than ourselves. When our gentleness gives preference to one another in love. But we'll all admit, won't we, that this does not come naturally. (laughs) In fact, for it to exist, something has to, to supersede what is an innate selfishness that exists within all of us. Well, that's the next facet of our fellowship, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. If you would, look at chapter 2, verse 1. Chapter 2, verse 1. Paul says, If therefore there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, here it is, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion make my joy complete, being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. The fellowship of the Holy Spirit. This is who we are because of Him who is within us. The fellowship of the Holy Spirit is the means by which the fellowship of grace is experienced in our lives. Because the Scripture tells us when, when we walk in the Spirit, we will not carry out the desires of the flesh. Our lives will re- reflect love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. All those words describe a harmony in relationships within the context of grace. We treat others based on how God has treated us. But when we walk in the flesh, our pride threatens that peace. We become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. When we step away from the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, our self-centeredness is unchecked. Bitterness replaces love. Wrath replaces joy. We challenge one another instead of giving preference to one another. We tear each other down instead of building each other up. See, the the fellowship of the Holy Spirit is what protects the unity that is gifted the church by God. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 or chapter 12 verse 12 says, For just as one body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. And all were made to drink of one spirit. One spirit, one body, one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. That's the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. 
Now, if you would turn to chapter 3, verse 8. Chapter 3, verse 8. Paul writes in these, ver- these beautiful verses, he says, More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish in order that I may gain Christ, may be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Jesus Christ, the, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know Him in the power of His resurrection. Here it is the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death. The fellowship of his sufferings. Now, as we've talked about before, this may not be our favorite facet of fellowship, but it may be the one that draws us closest to him and to one another in our relationships. This is the bond that that is created by our shared struggle. It is that band of brothers mentality when, when we grow closer to the Lord and to each other through difficult circumstances. I think about the comments that, that were made by Donnie Allison, as I've shared with you before. And specifically, I'm thinking of an interview that he had uh, with UMC before he passed. He said this, talking about the blessing of cancer. He says, this experience has brought me a better quality of life than I ever had before. I would rather have gone through this than not. I'll take the outcome. I'll take the whole thing to get here. I feel like I am the richest man in the world. That was the fellowship of his suffering and the outcome of his faith. I think of Russell and Gracelyn Thomason, who, who would tell you that the experience that they had with Jimmy and Nevaeh was difficult. But that circumstance created within them a bond in their marriage and in their family like they have never experienced before. I think we could all attest to those experiences that we've had that have been through difficult circumstances that have drawn us closer together and brought us closer in our walk with Christ. But I bet we could also attest to just the opposite. Those, those experiences where someone who's diagnosed with a, with a disease like cancer becomes bitter and angry. And not hopeful. We've seen difficult circumstances drive wedges in families and not necessarily build a bond. So what's the difference? I think the difference is the intentional words that are communicated in our passage when it says the fellowship of his sufferings. Let me explain what I mean. You see, when we go through difficult times, when we suffer, One option is to look at our circumstances and ask, why is this happening to me? (laughs) This is not fair. I deserve better than this. We become the focus of our suffering. And as a result, it's no longer his suffering. It's our suffering. It's not about what he's doing in our life and and the strength that we have in, in him. Instead, it's about the life we think we deserve and the feeling of being cheated when it doesn't happen like we think it should. But when we enter into his suffering, it looks different. Keep your finger here in Philippians and flip over to 1 Peter. Go past Hebrews and right before 1 John. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. 
I want you to listen to what Peter describes as the pattern that we are to follow in the fellowship of his suffering. He says, for you have been called, verse 21 of chapter 2, for you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And when being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges rightly. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds, you were healed. Paul, Peter says that, that Christ left us an example of suffering that we are to follow. In that example, they called Jesus every name in the book. And he said nothing in return. They threatened him, but he didn't retaliate. He suffered in silence, and he let God set things right. Jesus entrusted himself to him who judges rightly. In other words, Jesus gave his suffering to God. When we enter into the fellowship of his sufferings, we are called to do the same. We entrust ourselves, no matter how difficult the the circumstance may be, to him who judges rightly. The focus shifts from what he should do for us to the peace we have when we place our trust in him. Come unto me, Jesus says, all you who are weary and heavy laden, all you who are suffering, and I will give you rest. He tells us, That he works all things for good of those who love him and who are called according to his purposes. Jesus says, I understand your suffering. Why? Because I have been there too. What a unique characteristic of our faith. That the God in whom we serve does not stand separated from our suffering, but he actually entered into it on our behalf. So does he know about your suffering? Yes. Because he's been there too. You see, the suffering of, of Jesus took place for the glory of God and the good of his people. When we into the, enter into the fellowship of his suffering, the same is true for us. We'll look at the final tenet of our facet of suffering. Let's go to our passage from this morning, chapter 4 of Philippians, if you would. Verse 14. Nevertheless, Paul says, you have done well to fellowship with me in my affliction. And you yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, after I departed from Macedonia, no church fellowshiped with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. This is the facet of fellowship that is the fellowship of giving and receiving. The beauty of this facet is the the benefit that we experience on both sides of of the equation. On one hand, there's the blessing of, of giving the gift, especially if the gift is, is given, as Paul indicates here, sacrificially, when what you do actually costs you something. We know that this is true from the Philippian church because we have read and talked about in Scripture how they gave sacrificially out of their extreme poverty, the Scripture tells us. This tells me that they gave something 
to someone else that they could have used on their own. And God calls us to do the very same thing. Maybe you give something that costs you comfort. Maybe you give something that costs you convenience. Maybe you give something that costs you security. This is important because any gift that is given sacrificially always puts us in a place where we become increasingly dependent upon God. Lord, I'm going to give not out of my excess, but I'm actually going to give away something I think I might need. And I'm going to trust that you will fill that void with your promises of provision. Last week we, we talked about the deacon ministry. It was mentioned again this morning by, by Russ. It, it's our desire to see the needs of our body met by our body. When someone loses a job and they're in a difficult place, we should be the ones who rally around them so that they can make it through a difficult time. That's the way it should be. You see, the, the deacons are in place to steward those gifts that are given. But your gifts are what are necessary to supply that need. This is not only important for those in need, but it is also good for us. When we put ourselves in a place of of trusting God to fill a void that is created by an act of our obedience to Him. What a beautiful fellowship there is in giving and receiving. It's what Paul is rejoicing about as he closes this letter to the Philippians. He says, not that I seek a gift, but when you give from your heart, we both benefit from the blessing. And I think the the reasoning behind that is that Paul understands that since we are responding to the prompting of the Holy Spirit, he can then know that the gift that he receives is actually from God. The obedience of the Philippians is simply the means by which the gift was given. That doesn't happen unless God moves first. And and when you put your trust in the Lord, and and you're a part of the giver, you you find out that He is sufficient to allow you to live abundantly, even in the absence of things that you might choose to give away. We both receive a blessing from the riches of His grace and mercy. What a beautiful facet of fellowship in the giving and receiving of the saints. There are a whole lot others that we could talk about in the the facets of fellowship. I've given you just five, and they're all in one letter written by Paul to the Philippians. The fellowship of grace, or excuse me, the fellowship of the gospel. Our mutual commitment to following Christ and magnifying his name in all we do. The fellowship of grace, where, where unity is protected as we do for others based on what Christ has done for us. The fellowship of the Holy Spirit that empowers us to rise above selfish desires as we consider the needs of others as more important than our own. The fellowship of His sufferings. The bond that we share because of our common pursuit of following Christ together. And the fellowship of giving and receiving. The joy of of knowing that God is sufficient to allow us to live abundantly even in the absence of things that we think we need. You see, fellowship is more than just a cup of coffee and a cupcake. The fellowship of the Scripture is a blessing in our lives, a part of who we are as believers in Jesus Christ when our hearts are devoted to following Christ 
and surrender to his perfect will. You see, when considered collectively, all those facets of fellowship are a beautiful display of the light of Christ in the lives of his people. It is that diamond carried by the bride of Christ, his church, to the world around us as his light shines through us and reflects in all those facets of fellowship. Let me pray for us, and then in the name of fellowship, I want to introduce you to a new family here in our church. Let's pray together. God, we do come to you in thankfulness for the gift of fellowship. First of all, that we share with you, as we've been reminded of this morning, where hostility died at the cross, and peace was created so that we could have fellowship with a holy God through a righteousness not our own, but one gifted to us through our faith in Jesus Christ. And that entered us into a fellowship that we have with one another that is infeasible outside of what we share with you. I pray that we would protect all these facets of fellowship for the purpose of allowing them to to shine your light in a brilliant way to the world that is watching us. May it be beautiful for them to see the fellowship of your people. We pray this in your name. Amen.